Over the past year, I've been on a healing adventure. I've spent the past 12 months recovering from brain fog, pain, and chronic fatigue. Like any good adventure story, there have been highs and lows, losses and gains, and an incredible amount of personal growth and lessons learned. This journey has made me a better health practitioner and a more empathetic coach. To add more meaning to my experience, I wanted to create something that would help others to increase their energy, clear their mind, and restore their health. I created the Brain Fog Bible. The Brain Fog Bible is a 47-page guide that covers what I call the low-hanging fruit. It explores the most important areas to be assessed and addressed if you want more from life, but your brain and your body are holding you back. You can grab a copy at brainfogbible.com forward slash download. That's brainfogbible.com forward slash download. I believe one of the most important things that we can do is give ourselves the gift of truly nourishing the soul through time spent in self-inquiry, moments that still the mind and practices that light us up and allow us to reconnect to the child within. Move, Breathe, Create is a platform that celebrates soul nourishment. Move your body to get out of your head. Breathe to give yourself mental clarity and calm. Create without expectation to fuel your inspiration and delight your senses. Come and join us over at movebreathecreate.com and use the code kombucha for your first month free. I'm looking forward to seeing you inside the community. From a young age, I was passionate about nutrition and helping people with their health. When I started practicing in the field, I realized that physiology and psychology are intimately intertwined. Some of my clients just needed to know what to do to feel better. And many of my clients knew what they should be doing, they just weren't doing it. Underneath it all, unconscious conditioning was getting in the way of their success. This drove me to uplevel my skill set and coach my clients to remove some of their mental roadblocks and reconnect with the wisdom of the body. I learned about the importance of embodiment and harnessing the power of emotions to get more of what you want from life. I started offering intensive one-to-one coaching packages and I launched my Grounded Goddess group program. I also wanted to create a free offering to help women understand the power of the mind, body, and emotions. I created the Grounded Goddess Blueprint. The Grounded Goddess Blueprint is a 43-page guide that will help you reconnect with what you want from life and teach you how to build your roadmap to create it. It will help you understand why you often find yourself going round in circles and engaging with self-sabotage. If you feel stuck, overwhelmed, or frustrated with lack of results, you want the Grounded Goddess Blueprint. If you want clarity, understanding, and more success, you want the Grounded Goddess Blueprint. Just go over to groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash blueprint and grab your copy. That's groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash blueprint. Hi, I'm Shay, and welcome to Kombucha and Color. Kombucha and Color is a weekly podcast hosted by me, Shay Dyer, a yoga teacher and creative graphic designer, and Anna Marsh, a functional medicine practitioner and women's health coach with a love of all things health and fitness. 
This podcast is here to inspire women to embrace health and live life bright. You can find more about me, Shay, at shaydyer.com. You can find out more about me, Anna, at annamarshnutrition.co.uk. And each week we will be bringing you inspiring content for a healthier and happier mind, body, heart, and soul. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Kombucha and Color. I'm Shay, and I have Anna with me as always on the show today. So we are, I think this is, I can't even work out how many weeks we are in lockdown, but it's been it's so hot. It's a lot. Just, <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> it's been so hot in London lately. And just with the heat that's rising and it kind of, it brings up a lot more of this like masculine, fiery, like energy and emotions that can simmer. And I was just reflecting on how or, or how we are able to discharge these emotions, especially when we're in lockdown and it's more of a quarantine situation. We're not getting as much opportunity to be able to release, to discharge, to get outside, to move our bodies. And so that's what we wanted to speak about today. And I've also been reflecting on this idea a lot of emotions and how important it is for us to release these emotions, especially those emotions that are more associated with the anger, the energy of rage, the energy of frustration. And in my journey of reading about parenting and parenthood and um, and allowing children to create boundaries for themselves, it's, it's come up again and again, this idea of allowing yourself to or as yourself as a parent to sit with emotions that come up in a child that are the more uncomfortable emotions for us to sit with. So that's kind of a, a pre-frame of where we want to go with this episode today. And I think there's lots of juicy things that we're gonna we're gonna share just with our experiences and where we've come to understand the importance of releasing emotion through the body or through sound or through whatever it is. So yeah, I hope you enjoy the show with us today. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we, we often do touch on emotions a lot in, in as a thread probably that runs through many of these different podcasts. Recently, I shared my experience about um, being able to access anger and using breathwork practices and things like that to just charge emotion and the profound impact that that had on measurable physiological variables. But where would you like to start today, Shay? Um. Well, let me start with how this topic came to me. And it was through a book that I've been reading. It's called, the book is called uh, A Book That You Wish Your Parents Had Read. And it's all about parenting young children. And one of the things that has stuck with me so much about this book is that as parents, it's very easy to sit with a child who's happy. To witness your own child's happiness is very easy to hold that space for a child. And you can, I mean, it's so easy to see if a child's like bubbly and laughing and playing, parents are around and there they are encouraging it. And it's, it's, it's wonderful to be in that energetic space with your child. But because it's so difficult for people to sit with pain, and I think that comes because a lot of the time we haven't worked through our own pain, that it's difficult for us to sit with somebody else's pain. And I can imagine that being tenfold when it's your child or someone that's really close to you. So the challenge then comes is that when a child is presenting some kind of pain or some kind of emotion that is quote unquote, not a good emotion, it's a real challenge for parents to sit with that. So if you think about a child who is having a temper tantrum, a two-year-old or a three-year-old, what they're energetically or what they are saying in that situation without being able to express it because they can't, they don't have the words, is that I'm not feeling comfortable here. 
this is not feeling good to me. And it's a child that's trying to create a boundary, but they have no way of explaining that or expressing that or sharing that with you in a cognitive way. So it comes out as this stroppy tantrum, throwing everything off the cart. And what they're doing is they are discharging the emotion that is rising up in their body. But because as parents or caregivers or anybody who's holding that space, it's uncomfortable to see that. It's uncomfortable. And especially if if you're in a public place or you're somewhere where there's people watching or there's a lot of stuff that you haven't unpacked around this, the immediate response is to shush the child or tell it not to do that or take it outside or kind of, you know, in this book that I'm reading, it's like she says, you know, it gets beaten out of children. And for me, I've been reflecting on that in terms of my own upbringing and thinking, you know, it's true. Like it's, it's very easy for my parents to be in a, in a, oh, Shay's happy and everything's good. But as soon as there's some kind of like rattle to that, or it's not quote unquote, the perfect child, it's like shunned and no, that's not allowed. And so now I reflect on myself as an adult and the challenge in creating boundaries or creating something that says, actually, I'm not really comfortable with this but I am available for this, if that's okay with you. And that is a really hard process. And if I reflect and like overlay that onto how I was brought up, it's like, well, of course, because that as a child, being able to set a boundary, the response that, that, that elicited was, no, that's not allowed. And so it's been a very interesting thing to think about that from an emotional perspective. And one of the things that, that has come up as well is that, any emotion in a child which has not been able to be discharged or being able to process, it doesn't leave the body. It stays down and it festers and festers and it turns into something later in life. And if you think about the people or when you need to scream the loudest is when you feel that you're not validated, you're not heard, you're not seen. And I just think like later on in life, when people just get into the state where they just have to really, really like scream and be so loud with what they're feeling and expressing, because perhaps as children, that was just never seen and validated. So that's true for not only children, but for anybody. Um, One of the examples that they use in this book is if you had a friend who had just fallen down and scraped their knee and was really in a lot of pain or broken their arm or something, the common reaction for a child would be distraction. If if a child fell down and bumped its knee, oh, but look over there, look over there. If you as an adult person had a really bad fall and broke your arm and your friend said, don't worry, look over there, there's a squirrel. Mm. You'd be like, this is completely not validated and I don't feel seen. I don't feel heard. So then your response to that pain gets louder because you're like, you're not listening to me. This is really painful. This is really sore. So it's just been interesting in that perspective to look at it. And I think this overlaps a lot with um, Gabor Mate's book, When the Body Says No, about, you know, it's not something that it just, it releases. It, it, it shows up later in life as dis-ease or dis-ease in the body. And even Brené Brown, she has this concept that these emotions and these things that are rising up don't stay benign. Over time, they metastasize, you know, unshed or unprocessed grief, unprocessed guilt, unprocessed shame. It metastasizes over time. And it's just something to be so aware of, I think. Yeah. And I mean, I was reflecting, you were telling your story about your childhood and I was reflecting on my story about mine. And first of all, I was thinking, I can't really remember any times where like I was not validated as a child, um, but we all have our blind spots. But what I do remember 
is crying. I've always been susceptible to crying and crying. And my parents would always say, she's just tired. She's just tired. She's just tired. Like, oh no, you just, you're just overtired. You're just overtired whenever I used to get upset about things. And so now I can't remember if I've shared this on the show before, but um, people who've been listening to the show more recently probably know that I still have some ongoing challenges with fatigue. So there's an interesting connection there. But I also had fatigue when I was a young child, like nine years old, 10 years old. And I was reflecting recently on that and how it's linked to maybe what's happening now. And um, I won't share the specific circumstances at the time, but there was a lot going on in our home at that point in time where I see now that maybe I did feel like I, I needed my own space. I needed to put those boundaries in place, but I didn't necessarily have a conscious awareness of it. And because I wasn't consciously aware of it, I didn't necessarily know how to say and how to express that. I think perhaps there can be many reasons, obviously, why someone would experience fatigue, but perhaps that was my body saying, no, that was my body just going like, I've had enough of this. I'm too overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. And it just kind of went crash. And that maybe is also something that shows up now in my adult life. I know that putting boundaries in place is not something that I have completely mastered yet, but it's, it's been a journey that I've been on. And part of being unwell or being on this healing adventure has been a lesson in boundaries because when you don't have the ability to say no or when you don't have the the enough energy to say yes anymore, then you have to learn how to start to say no. And, And that in itself is part of the healing. And it's, and it's almost like when you cognitively can't say no, the body will say it for you. And that's the whole premise of, of Gabba Mate's book. But like going back to that experience of childhood, like this is, this is exactly the whole crux of, of, of this, this parenting book that I'm reading is that in that stage, like that young Anna, the ideal thing would have been to go, what are you feeling right now? Yes, I can understand that you're feeling so sad. You're feeling alone. You're feeling all these different things. And to have those feelings validated rather than it being Just a label tired. of what, yeah, of, of, of what a parent deems it easy to be because perhaps it's difficult for them to sit with what's coming up. So do you want to speak more about um, emotions in terms of the pelvis? I know there's often um, in the yoga practice, we talk about how the emotions are connected to the sacral chakra, to the hips. Um, So do you want to share a little bit more about that? Feel free to ship in here because you are the yoga guru in in the room on the podcast. Um, But we've spoken many times about the chakra system on the show. So just to very, very quickly rehash that is the chakra system is a system of energy centers in the body and these different energy centers which are located from you know the base of the spine up to the crown of the head are representative of different I don't know what what would be the right word they they represent different parts of our psyche they represent different parts of how we show up in humanity and in divinity and the sacral chakra specifically is located around the pelvis. It's this, the second chakra in the chakra system. And typically it's associated with emotion. And one of the qualities of the sacral chakra is also this idea of movement. The element is water, which is very sort of fluid. So there 
is this idea that emotions are energy in motion. They are, they are just an energy, which is you said already is if we aren't validated in our emotional experience, we can hold those emotions in the body and we can hold emotions anywhere in the body, but a, a kind of like a really good place often to keep them is in the pelvis. That's where um, a lot of people tend to experience emotion, especially if you do like a hip opening class, you know, people can often find, or at least my personal experiences, I can often find a lot of like frustration and agitation coming up, but it can also be sadness. It can also be anger, or it can also be good emotions as well. Not good, but um, what we would deem more positive emotions as well. And so when we work into the hips, we can create some sort of energetic release, but that energetic release can come in so many different ways. And I feel that movement is a huge part of that. And movement is often we think about movement in terms of exercise, like I'm going to go work out. I'm going to go do my yoga class. I'm going to go for a run or I'm going to do like maybe do some dancing, but movement happens every day in so many different ways. There can just be the movement of your diaphragm and the muscles around the rib cage when you breathe in and when you breathe out. So even breath work to a certain extent is movement or movement can be, you know, just if we're sitting at our desk and we're very hunched over all the time and we're very stagnant, just even like allowing yourself just to do a few like cat cows or something very basic like that can help to start to release the body and to start to create movement. So our emotions are often linked to things like our physiology, which can, which can incorporate posture. So when we use movement to change our posture, we have this ability to move energy through the body. And that's why I think this this time in lockdown has been so challenging is that we yes, we've been able to go outside and, and move to a certain extent, but there's definitely been this more of a feeling of stagnation and more of a feeling of stuckness. Even though we have ability to move, like our daily movement has just been reduced so much because we no longer commute. I mean, some people work from home anyway, but there's a lot more just freedom of movement and commuting and movement that happens without you having to think about it. So without you like kind of scheduling in, this is my hour of workout. This is my hour of dedicated movement that I'm having. We would be having so much more functional movement throughout our day when we're out of this lockdown. So really that's recreating this kind of like festering ground for emotions to be not processed in the body and then we're in this container where we in our houses there's less movement happening there and then now the heat is being switched on and I taught a class last night with this idea that the sun is a very masculine energy and it's fiery and it's very forward and the feminine energy which is more lunar it's more fluid it's related to this kind of watery element and it's like we need to have this balance so we need to be able to cool down and do movement that is more honoring of those cycles, spiraling movements, a very watery kind of flow so that we can find balance so that we can regulate our emotions because we're not getting to do it through excessive other ways that we can process usually. Yeah. Before we started recording this um, podcast, I was saying to Shay, like the weather has been really great here down by the beach. And I've always, I'm a, a Scorpio, so I'm a water sign. And I've always had this huge affinity with water. My dad always jokes that I look like I learned how to swim before I learned how to walk. And so I'm, I'm 
totally a mermaid in my past life. Um, so for me, just like being able to go into the water and be near water, on water, in water, it's, it's just medicine for my soul. But I've also had recently, just observing myself over the past few weeks, I've had a lot of these emotions of anger, of frustration, of resentment building up. And maybe that's, you know, as we're entering this summer phase, this fiery phase of our calendar, maybe that's just coming hand in hand with that, more of the masculine energy. And I was saying to Shay, like the fact that I can go to the beach and get in the ocean is feels like one of the only things that's keeping me sane right now. I was down on the beach this morning and I had a little swim and then I was just sitting on the sea, not sitting on the sea, sitting next to the sea on the sand. It's like the only time when I feel like completely content, like I've, when I've had my swim and I'm just sitting there or when I'm in the ocean, I feel like I don't need anything else right now to make this better. Like I'm just completely happy, like more money in the bank wouldn't make a difference. Um, An improvement in my health wouldn't make a difference. It's just like, I'm just happy just to be there. And I think that's just, for me, it's, it's, it's incredibly balancing. I think different people will have their own experience, but for me, like that water energy to cool some of my internal fire is, is really, really nourishing. Mm. So if you've got something like, um, obviously we've spoken now about like going out into the water and perhaps for, for me now, it's like kind of walking and being out in the parks or out near some like nature. If you have availability to walk and do something like that, yoga, movement, things where you are moving your body, not in necessarily a workout way, but just finding range in your body, finding new pockets of space within your body, finding movement and accessing different joints and muscles and, and, and space in the body that you wouldn't usually. Like that's a really good way to physically process emotions. Like if you can sing, if you can shout, if you can scream into a pillow, stamp your feet, kind of use that energy to dis or use that, use your body to discharge the energy that you're feeling. I think that's a really useful practice. And even now I'm thinking like, you know, as I'm I'm sort of thinking more towards the end of the year and giving birth and that process of labor. Like there's a lot of stuff that comes up in terms of emotions and energy and to be able to discharge that through the labor process, I think will be absolutely vital to be able to have the kind of calm and centered birth that, that you would hope for. Um, but even things like, and this is where I believe like the creative piece is so good because it allows you to move your hands, be in your body in a different way, process something. Journaling is a really great way to really just get off, get your head around, or kind of take what's in your head and process it out in a way. And perhaps then it leads you to ripping out journal pages or scratching up your book or whatever it is. But like there's, there's some kind of discharge that needs to happen in order for us to process those emotions out and through the body. Yeah. I think that shaking even, is also, sorry, yeah. I was shaking. is also a really great one. Shaking or just, um, you know, discharging in that way. I mean, just to jump back on the journaling piece, like even the act of writing with your hands mm. is uh, is emotion. And then, as you mm. say, you can you can get a little bit more fiery with it and start ripping yeah. out the pages. Um, but I wanted to highlight something that you said, but in a different way, which is like getting into all those parts of the body that you wouldn't normally get into, because I think in everyday life we tend to be quite uh, rigid in how we move. So we might walk, which is like forward and back, you know, swinging your arms, you know, we do tend to do a lot of movement, which is 
is it, I'm trying to think of the different planes of the body now. The sagittal plane. Sagittal plane. Yeah, we do a lot of sagittal plane. I think it's sagittal plane. Yeah. Well, the sagittal frontal and transverse. So it's one of those three. <laughs> um, but we tend to very much be like, okay, we're running, it's sagittal. We're walking, it's sagittal. Even if I'm swimming, it's mostly still like you're on your belly, you're swimming. And then we sit at a desk, we're facing forward, we're maybe hunched forward. We sit at a table, we eat, where we're in a similar position. We then sit on the sofa to watch some TV. And so it's all movement, which is very much in the similar plane of movement and it's closing down the hips and it's closing down the heart. And we will probably start to feel the most benefit, even if that's discomfort, even if that's uncomfortable at first is when we start to, as you say, explore all these different planes of motion, all these different ranges of motion. If you're at your desk a lot, doing some heart openers, opening up the hip, getting into those sticky points in the body that we don't often give the airtime, but it's so important. And I just think of that if you think about kind of days gone by when we were hunting and gathering out in the wilderness, I can't imagine there being the same kind of mental stuff that we carry now as a collective. And I just think like in that time, we had so much more functional range of movement. You know, we were twisting side to side to pull out roots or we were reaching up tall to get berries or we were digging up something. So there was all this range of movement that happened naturally in our days. Whereas now we in forward and backward movement and even the cars that, we, that, are, that are being developed now is that if you think about cars as they are right now, in order to check your blind spot, you have to turn your head to the side. But cars are now being designed that actually they got now cameras on the back of the car and you can just look at the front screen. So you're not even having to turn your head. We are reducing movement, reducing movement, reducing movement. The more and more technologically advanced we get, the more movement is reduced. I mean, to change the channel back in the years gone by, it was to get up off the couch and go to the TV and change the channel. And then the remote came to us, so we didn't need to do that. And now we're driving cars, but actually we don't even need to turn our head to the left to, to check. You know, we can just see it on the screen. And so it's like the more, quote-unquote, advanced we get, the more primitive movement we're losing and the more emotional processing we are losing in that ability to discharge it from the body in a physical way. And so it's just like over time, this dis-ease, this discomfort, this inability to work through our own stuff, from an emotional perspective, is rising at the same time that we are losing movement. So it's just like an interesting correlation. And if you think about children, if you, like relating this back to, to this, this book that I was reading, it's like a child's temper tantrum, they are full-blown in their whole body. They're stamping and crying and arms are flailing and heads going side to side. And that's in a full body, full body experience of that emotion that is discharging. And you can think about children having a temper tantrum. It lasts two or three minutes or maybe it's 10 or, or half an hour. And, and, then, and then it's done. Then they're happy again. It's like completely this balance. There's that, that contentment has, has been found again. Whereas what happens in our adult selves, it's not appropriate to stamp our feet. It's not appropriate to shout and to scream. But if you can find active ways to release that, dynamic meditation is a really great way to do that. And um, if you can find ways to discharge it from the body, then you arrive at this place of peace. And as you've said, like all your variable markers start to shift because it has a physiological impact on the body. 
Yeah, that's so true. I wanted to just say one more thing about this idea of how we lo- what you were saying about how we're losing this um, primitive movement while we're increasing this like burden of psychosocial stress, if you want to call it that. And in one of the previous podcasts, I mentioned a book, Move Your DNA. That's a really, that by really Katie Berman. Yes, Katie Berman. Have okay. you read it? No, I've seen it and I'm like, oh, I must get this. Um, I, I think as part of your pre-birth reading list, um, it might be a good one to read because she talks about like instead of you know having your workout that you do each day, if you carry your child to the Tesco because you need to buy some milk and you know you don't have a pram or whatever that's your workout for the day because you're going to, you've got the strength in your arms. You're going to walk differently because you're holding the child. When you move it to the other hip, you know, you'll, you'll move a little bit differently. So, you know, by starting to think about how we move in everyday life and how we can make things a bit more challenging for ourselves by maybe going against the norm, that way we can keep some more of this primitive movement into our daily life. So yeah, it's, it's a good one to read as part of your, pre-mama research (laughs) (laughs) thank you i definitely will i definitely will grab that so is there anything else that you want to add on in terms of emotions and discharging them or i just wanted to pick back up on what you were saying about you know the child having the temper tantrum and that's a full-blown experience a full body experience which is a discharge of energy you know what you said in the very beginning about how sometimes it's difficult for parents to allow their children to have that experience without feeling the need to jump in and fix and correct and make it what it should be uh, according to you know some sort of predefined standard and this is something that we've talked about a little bit on the show already which is this idea of being over identified with someone else's experience where you feel that you need to go in and fix and change it for your own comfort and so here, this is where, again, something you said at the very beginning of the show, it's about us being able to look into our own pain and us being able to look at our own experiences and process our own energy so that we are more grounded and connected to ourselves, which enables us to set a better energetic boundary between what is me and my experience and what is other and their experience. Because very often there can be this like, oh, I'm worried I'm going to get judged. You know, if your kids are in the supermarkets and maybe your child is acting out and there's this like, what are other people going to think of me? Am, am I a bad parent? And I know that that mom guilt is is really, really real. And I'm not a parent. I can't really speak from a place of being a parent. But, you know, if I was working with a client, those would be things that I would get them to maybe look at is, you know, where when are they making certain things mean something about them? And what can they do to bolster their own sense of connection, their own sense of self-worth, their own sense of grounding and and create those boundaries in in a healthy way. Mm. And I must say, like, if I reflect on my personal journey, the practice of yoga for me has given me the sense of worth, has given me the sense of grounding and has given me the ability to sit with discomfort. And it starts from a very tangible place like it starts from the physical body so you go into a yoga practice for maybe the first time or second time and somebody puts you in a strange position and you're like this is really freaking uncomfortable but the, the yoga teacher is telling me to stay here and I must just observe my physical discomfort so it starts on that level because the body is an easy access point for us because we all have a body and it's tangible and it's felt often we're so out of the body but as we get more into the practice we're like oh yeah this is what I'm feeling 
And I just think like having that ability to sit with that kind of discomfort has then opened up another layer to be able to go, actually, can I sit with this mental discomfort that, I, that I'm feeling? And then can I sit with this emotional discomfort that I'm feeling? And you go through these layers or these sheaths. So um, in the yoga practice, they have these sheaths that are kind of around the body. And in order for us to really find that place of contentment, we have to work through all those layers. And if I think of myself as a parent, maybe five years ago, or, you know, moving towards becoming a parent five years ago, my experience would be completely different because I would not have the ability to sit with my own discomfort in this way. And this has come up again now with the Black Lives Matters movement. It's like white people are, are being faced with looking at their own discomfort and how they're feeling about what's going on at the world at large and how they're complicit in it. And I think having this practice that opens you up, that makes you aware and able to sit with your own discomfort allows you to be able to sit with perhaps the discomfort of a child or discomfort in that situation that is quote unquote, not good. For me, what I've realized is like to bring children into the world is like, it's not about creating a quote unquote good child. A child needs to be able to express their full range of capacity so that they have potential to realize their full potential. And it's not obviously not like children are going to be bad children and going and becoming murderers and things like that. But it's like to be, to be able to express that full range of emotion and know that they're still worthy because we all have those parts within us. We all have the parts that get angry. We all have the parts that get frustrated. We all have the parts that get jealous and and we get we have these parts within us they're they're part of being human and so when we shun that part of a child or ourselves we lose totality of who we are and I think like just if I if I reflect on this it's like when we can be total in ourselves and feel worthy like that is a really really empowered position to be in yeah and I think that yoga is something that like brings that or it makes that more accessible so if you don't have mm. a yoga practice, <laughs> now's yeah, a good time you know to, to go. <laughs> and the final thing I just wanted to say on that as well is that when I work with my clients, one of the things we look at is this belief that all behavior is either a loving response or a cry for help. And so if you think about how people react in certain situations, you can always kind of break it down to you know, one or the other. And so very often where we can find ourselves stuck is by the meaning that we create for things. So we're all filtering the world through our unique lens that we, that we've created based on our life experiences to date. And the more you, you know, go down the sort of growth path or personal development path and you practice yoga and, and do all of these things that actually expands your filter it may it enables you to see deeper and to see more and it raises your awareness but from a very simple perspective what we often see is a behavior you know someone's not even a child but someone's shouting stomping their feet behaving what we would call bad in air quotes or inappropriately and we we make a judgment we're like that person shouldn't be doing that that's wrong that's bad it should be stopped but if we can maybe take a step back and see it through the lens of that person is crying for help, mm -hmm. you know, what, and then you can start to have a little bit more empathy and a little bit more compassion. I think it's Gabe Mate who says, you know, not why would someone do that, but what did that person experience in their life that they are now doing that? 
And then it helps you to see a little bit deeper into this. There's a, there's a cry for help there. There's a need for love. There's a need for something, whether it's a boundary that's been overstepped and this is a defensive reaction for protection. It's a cry for help. And I think if you can start to see things through that lens, it enables you to connect because as soon as you have that judgment and put in place, this is wrong, this is bad, this shouldn't be happening, this shouldn't be happening here, this shouldn't be happening now, then you create that disconnect. And, you know, when someone is reaching out for help, what are they looking for? They're looking for a connection. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that whole thing of somebody who's having this big reaction, say, in a supermarket and they're just going ballistic, an adult, like it's also about like that person never had the tools. And I think so many of us don't have the tools. We don't know how to deal with these big emotions that we're experiencing because as children, we're not taught how to deal with them. There's no education on emotional development in childhood. There's literally none. And it's like only now, like as an adult, I'm like, oh, wow, like there's a way that I can process these emotions. There's a way that I can discharge them through the body. And it's so important and it's so necessary. And nobody teaches us this. Nobody. Mm -hmm. Because it's not common knowledge. So it's like, how can we have these tools? How can these tools be shared so that people can know that actually there's an appropriate way for me to deal with the stuff that's coming up so that I don't have this absolute meltdown at the poor cashier at Sainsbury's, but I can discharge my emotion in a healthy way so that I can have more opportunity for connection with the people around me in a meaningful way. Yeah. I mean, at the moment, I think it's, it really just, it, it falls on the parents to almost educate their children in this way, but the parents also just dealing with their mm. own wounds and their own trauma, mm. you know, yes, I think people like yourself and myself are probably pretty privileged to have been exposed to this work and also to have the opportunity to dive into it to not that we're perfect, but to the level that we have been able to prior to having children. But that's not the case for everyone. You know, the ultimate change would be to have more of this integrated into school curriculums um, so that people Mm. have these tools, because as you say, it's for me, some of the stuff is like a lifeline. I don't know how we'd be mm. surviving life, actually. Yeah. Of course, we always cope, but I feel like I cope better because I've mm. had the privilege to be able to do some of this work. And, I, and that's 100% my experience. And I don't think that I would, I would be going into parenting in a very different way five years ago. It would be a completely different experience for me. And I'm so grateful to be where I am because I feel really grounded and centered, even though I have no idea what's coming like there's a shit storm coming but I'm like have no idea in yourself yeah (laughs) but 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 I feel like there's there's a different entry that that I'm arriving like it's like I'm not going into the shit storm without anything like I've got a backpack of like really important valuable tools that I can draw on when I need and it's like really comforting to have this this backpack on yeah (laughs) that's my mission in life to give people the backpack yeah, mine too, in, in my own way. And I think also just accepting that there are going to be times when you're going to mess up and you're going to fail. Yeah. We also have to fail because when we mm-hmm. fail, we are able to rule out what doesn't work. And in doing so, we also gather more learning and, and more tools for the backpack yeah. along the way. Yeah, oh, I love that. Well, thank you. That was a really juicy conversation. Anything else you want to add or share? Or No, that was, that was everything on my list. Oh, well, thank you. 
hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, if you did, please leave us a review or come and message us on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. And if you have anything um, that you want to add or share, then also feel free to message us um, any books or tools that you've come across that you feel are useful. Amazing. We'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Kombucha and Colour. If you have enjoyed or been inspired by our conversations today, please leave a five-star review on Stitcher or iTunes. Don't forget to share with friends and family. This will help other women find inspiration to live life bright. We'd love to connect with you on social media. Come find me, Shay, by searching Shay Dyer Yoga on Facebook or Instagram. You can find me, Anna, by searching Anna Marsh on Facebook or Instagram. And remember, you can always refer to the links in the show notes. See you next week.